Where is it? Where is all the authority and all the power? It's in Yeshua HaMashiach. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Embry. I'm Janice. Happy Canada Day, everybody who's Canadian. Good to see you as we celebrate the birth of Canada. And as we do that, we're studying Isaiah chapter 11. As we look at this today, we're going to understand what God has done for us and what he's saying to us. Corey is here with Ryan. Corey, what's going on? Today, I'm going to be focusing in on Isaiah chapter 10 and specifically the prophet's uh, foretelling of Assyria's judgment. Ryan? Today, I'm talking about Ephraim, the man, the tribe, and the nation. All right, very good. That's coming up in about 20 minutes, those segments. Uh, Janice, what is today? It's our fun Friday wrap-up question. I can ask a question today anywhere from Ecclesiastes chapter 10 all the way through to Isaiah 11. I hope you've done your reading. Get ready. Isaiah 11 verses 1 through 10. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den." They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. You know, we study Isaiah chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, as we continue to read through the Bible on this fascinating journey through God's Word. Uh, this is what we love to do here, and we're going to focus today on Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. This is amazing. Now, there are many prophetic words used to describe the message and the meaning of Jesus Christ in the book of Isaiah. Today's reading is a great example. Jesus' job description, or Yeshua's job description, comes to us from across time and space. 
Isaiah prophesied around 750 BC, meaning about 750 years before Christ was even born. Now, the first nine verses of Isaiah 11, chapter 11, describe the power and the intensity of the holiness of Yeshua HaMashiach. Now, he is described as coming from the line of Jesse. Though Jesse was David's father, it is not David who's being described here. It says, there shall be, or there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots. Isaiah 11, verse 1. This rod and this branch growing from the family of Jesse and the royal family of Judah is somewhat divine, as further prophecies will make even sharper. As wild as his words may have seemed to those around him, it is amazing that the prophet Isaiah never scaled down the messages that he received from God. And we studied on the last program how that the tongs brought the coal from the altar down and touched Isaiah's lips. That's exactly what we're seeing today. And let's pray that we hear this, but turn your Bible guides to today's passage. If you don't have a Bible guide, write for yours or call for yours. I'd be happy to send it to you for a donation in any amount. We trust the work of the Holy Spirit in you. A better way to get this is to go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and then you clip on or click on the Bible, Bible Discovery page and it takes you to a donate page after that, a PDF download page. You can download it exactly like this with the two goats here and everything else. Beautiful. And you can follow us along. Father, I pray today as we open up our hearts, as we open up our minds, that you would help us, Holy Spirit, to hear from the Word of God. And even those who are not really knowing God, they don't really know God as they're listening today, touch their hearts, touch their minds, and help them to hear you. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, amen and amen. You know, Isaiah 11 is amazing for lots of reasons. We're, we're studying the prophets, and as we study the prophets, we learn some things about them and about their sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Listen to his words. There shall come forth from a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding and the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. I mean, how do you describe that? I mean, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Son of God, has all authority and all power. Now, Christians represent Jesus Christ. We're called to be ambassadors who represent all authority and power. Now, what does that mean? To some people, it means you can boss others around. That's not what it means. As Christians or Christ followers, we do what Christ would do. God himself came upon the earth and he never bossed anybody around. He gave them the opportunity to know God. And that's what our responsibility is, beloved. We're not to say, I'm a king's kid, so I can do this or that or the other. You're you're the son, the heirs of Jesus Christ. You're the daughters or the heirs of Jesus Christ. So you must live as he commands us to live and teach others to follow him. 
That's our goal. That's our job. We go on to verse 11 or verse three, chapter 11, verse three. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness or rightness with God, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meekness of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked Righteousness or rightness with God shall be done, the belt of his loins and the faithfulness of the belt of his waist. Absolutely stunning what Isaiah says here. Jesus Christ is all powerful and judges in righteousness, rightness with God. Beloved, we are judged by our heart and not by our circumstances. Our heart. When's the last time we've judged with our heart, beloved? On social media? Don't think so. We're not called to judge. We're called to lift up the name of Jesus Christ and tell people this is how we can find our way. That's how we are to do it. Becomes very important. Now, let's go on to this last passage of Scripture because this gets important. It says in verse 6, this is important. The wolf also shall dwell... With the lamb. What? The wolf doesn't dwell with the lamb. He eats it. What what do you mean the wolf shall dwell? Yes, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. What? Leopards eat goats. They don't lie down with... Yes, they will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. Together. He'll bring peace. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, and their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. Are you serious? Yes. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den, and it won't bite him. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. Which leads me to this last point. Listen carefully. Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, will change the law of this world to his law of life. As Christians, we work to follow Jesus Christ, the law of life, beloved. A lot of people are talking about the natural law and eating and everything else. But let me tell you something. The natural law was destroyed years ago. The flood came and wiped it out. Before that, sin came and wiped it out. But there will return a time very soon when the natural law, the real natural law, will return. And there will be peace on the earth. There will be no more violence. There will be no more destruction. And God will reign. Beloved, that's what we need to think about. That's what we need to aim our hearts at today. 
Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study, and today my segment is about Ephraim. And the name Ephraim shows up a lot in the Bible, and today's reading is no exception. In fact, in the New King James translation of the Bible, this name comes up 11 times in the book of Isaiah alone. And it occurs about 170 times in total throughout Scripture, with all but one of those occurring in the Old Testament. So with so many passages referring to Ephraim, it's really important that we know who or what the Bible is referring to. And it all began back in Genesis with a man named Ephraim. Check it out. Ephraim and Manasseh, though the natural sons of Joseph, were later adopted by his father Jacob as his own children. This was highly significant and meaningful since full sonship granted them each a full share of the inheritance, along with Jacob's other eleven sons. It also meant that Joseph received a double share of the inheritance. Not only were Ephraim and Manasseh given full sonship, but they were distinguished from Jacob's other eleven sons in that they were blessed before any of Jacob's other children, and they were the only grandchildren to receive a blessing. Jacob again breaks the norm when he bestows the blessing of the firstborn, not upon Manasseh, but instead upon the younger Ephraim. This was not unheard of. In fact, for four generations now, younger brothers received the family blessing. Isaac instead of Ishmael, Jacob instead of Esau, Joseph instead of Reuben, and now Ephraim instead of Manasseh. Although Joseph was displeased with his father's actions, Jacob showed prophetic knowledge. It was to be simple historical fact that Ephraim and Manasseh together should be the most powerful component of Israel but that of the two, Ephraim would be the stronger. Manasseh would be great, but Ephraim would be greater. As time went on, this prophetic act became reality. And though Ephraim the man was now dead, his name lived on through his tribe of descendants, which grew in both size and strength. In fact, his tribe's leadership was already apparent by the time of Israel's wilderness wanderings. In the arrangement of the Israelite camp, for example, it was Ephraim which headed up the three tribes on the west side. And when the time came, it would be an Ephraimite commander, Joshua, son of Nun, who would lead his people into the conquest against Canaan, which ultimately resulted in his tribe receiving one of the largest and most favorable allocations of land. In fact, within Ephraim's territory was Shiloh, which was a religious center where the tabernacle was erected and where the ark rested during Joshua's time. As history continued to progress forward, so too did Ephraim's dominance. Actually, by the time of the Judges, the tribe had grown so powerful that it exercised leadership among the ten northern tribes. In fact, only in the time of David does God reject the Ephraimite line due to its sinfulness and replace it with one linked to the tribe of Judah. Nevertheless, when the kingdom split, Ephraim became the most powerful tribe in the north. This was headed up by an Ephraimite official named Jeroboam, who became king of northern Israel and from his time onwards, the center of the political and religious life of the northern kingdom was in Ephraim. So much so was this the case, that the northern kingdom was commonly called Ephraim 
right up to the time of its fall and deportation under the Assyrians in 722 BC. So Ephraim was the second-born son of Joseph, and his descendants became a mighty tribe, and that tribe ultimately became the largest and main tribe of the northern kingdom, which was composed of the ten Israelite tribes. And that's why God refers to Israel as Ephraim. So you had Judah in the south and Ephraim in the north. And one other interesting fact is that the most important and central city within the whole land of Ephraim and Manasseh would prove to be Shechem, which would only later be overshadowed by Samaria. Now, what's interesting about that is that Jacob might have hinted at this territory in his prophetic blessing of Joseph in Genesis chapter 49. Now, if you recall, Jacob here recounts an event in which he came into possession of, quote, the ridge of land. But in the Hebrew, this word is actually Shechem, which is identical to the place name. So it could be that Jacob's words were elusively suggesting that Shechem was already in reserve, so to speak, for the newly designated tribes. Now, one last thing to consider is that although Ephraim wasn't specifically named in Jacob's Genesis 49 blessing, it is clear that he was in mind when Jacob blessed Joseph by saying Joseph is a fruitful vine. Fruitful is actually a play on words on the name Ephraim itself, the fruitful one. You know, it, it, there's so much that uh, you can gain from reading uh, Genesis 49 and Jacob's blessings and his uh, encounters with, uh, you know, the sons and his grandsons and all of that. Uh, and and I find it fascinating. And you go back to the Judah tribe, you go back to mm -hmm. all of that. Oh, yeah. And you read this. It's a real rabbit hole, I'll tell you, Genesis tell you, chapter 49. It really is. Yeah. It really, I mean, there's guys that you do studies on this, and uh, I'm telling you, it's, it's really, really important. And so thank you, Ryan, for mm -hmm. that. Very, very interesting as the Bible uh, brings about things that you that if you study it and go down into it, you begin to understand, oh, that happened there, that happened there, that all because of Genesis 49. Very good. Interesting, Ryan. Mm -hmm. Interesting, a prophetic passage from Genesis 49. Corey? All right. Well, today I'm focusing in on Isaiah chapter 10 and a specific portion of it where Isaiah is talking about Assyria, the, this Neo-Assyrian Empire. This is the main enemy nation that Isaiah sees Judah contending with during his lifetime and, and uh, definitely northern Israel as well. Uh, will end up falling to Assyria during Isaiah's lifetime, and Judah will all but fall uh, to the Assyrian Empire. So it's really interesting how in Isaiah uh, chapter 10, uh, Isaiah prophesies this, Woe to the Assyrian, the rod of my anger. This is God speaking. Woe to the Assyrian, the rod of my anger, in whose hand is the club of my wrath. I send him against a godless nation. I dispatch him against a people who anger me to seize, loot, snatch, and plunder, and to trample them down like mud in the streets. But this is not what he intends. This is not what he has in mind. His purpose is to destroy, to put an end to many nations. And then I'm going to jump down to verse 10, which we're seeing the Assyrian king say this, As my hand sees the kingdoms of the idols, kingdoms whose images excelled those of Jerusalem and Samaria, shall I not deal with Jerusalem and her images as I dealt with Samaria and her idols? So we see here God judging the intentions of the king of Assyria, of the Assyrian empire as a whole, though he will end up using the evil intentions for good to bring judgment, he is still going to judge the intentions 
intentions and and the sinfulness of Assyria herself. Uh, the way that God ended up doing this in history was through the Babylonian Empire. Let's take a look at their rise. The last kings and prophets of the southern nation of Judah lived in a time of great change for the ancient Middle East. The Assyrian Empire was weakening, and Chaldean kings dreamed of recreating the splendor of Babylon, ushering in what historians call the Neo-Babylonian Empire. Under Sennacherib of Assyria, the Chaldean rebel king Merodach-Baladan, who is mentioned in the Bible, died. But far from giving the Assyrian kings relief, Merodach-Baladan's descendants kept rebelling. The Chaldean king who finally succeeded against Assyria is believed to have been a great-nephew. This king's name was Nebuchadnezzar. In 627 BC, he marched on the Assyrian-controlled city of Babylon and took it. Like a slow, unstoppable wave, Nebuchadnezzar, with his son and general Nebuchadnezzar, began taking city after city, framing their victories not as takeovers, but as liberations from Assyrian power. To accomplish his plans, Nebuchadnezzar had made an alliance with the king of the Medes and Persians. They would fight side by side, defeat Assyria, and split the conquered territory. They sealed the deal by joining their families in marriage, the crowned prince and general Nebuchadnezzar and the Median princess Amatus. Their endeavors worked. Fourteen years later, with much Assyrian territory under their belts, they besieged and thoroughly destroyed the Assyrian capital city, Nineveh, a victory prophesied by the biblical prophet Nahum. The king of Assyria managed to regroup and planned to meet up with the Egyptian army at Carchemish to make a last stand. At this point, biblical history intersects. Jerusalem's King Josiah attempted to stop Necho II, Pharaoh of Egypt, from reaching Carchemish. Long a vassal of Assyria, it was in Jerusalem's best interest to stop Assyria's backup. 605 BC was a big year for Crown Prince Nebuchadnezzar. He destroyed Assyria in battle, sent the Egyptians running home scared, and claimed the Babylonian throne after his father's death. Nebuchadnezzar was now king of the Neo-Babylonian Empire. The beginning of the end had arrived for the kings of Jerusalem. So we see with the rise of the Neo-Babylonian Empire, we see God's judgment on Assyria uh, being being had and and then you know this is going to happen this this judgment on Assyria is going to happen during the lifetime of the prophet Jeremiah which we'll get to and then the Babylonian empire has to get their intentions judged by God as well and it just it reminds me when we're looking at this and we're studying this of the importance of the intentions of our actions why we are doing what it is that we are doing um you know, evil is still going to be judged, even if it somehow ends up benefiting the will of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God. Evil will still be judged because God is a God of justice as well as of mercy, truth. Um, so it's very, very interesting because it, this is covered, of course, in the history of Israel. But now we're in the prophetic book. Yeah. And in the prophetic book, there's elements to this history that we didn't see. We're seeing how the prophets dealt with the history and how they interacted exactly. with the history. So how God was helping the people interpret the daily events and the, and the political situations that were going on. Because a lot of people couldn't interpret it properly. And uh, they couldn't. It's so hard to. Yeah, how do you do that when you're in it? But when you see this, yeah. the three different angles of how we dealt with it. So 
or how God dealt with it. That becomes very interesting. It does. So uh, anyway, by the way, you're doing something this weekend, which is? Yeah, we do it. Me and my husband, Matlock, do a chapter by chapter recap of our assigned reading, our assigned Bible reading to get you caught back up for the week ahead if you've fallen behind. So check that out. It's just on my YouTube channel, Corey Babechko. All right. And our, and our YouTube channel is great. Corey Babechko. Ryan's got a YouTube channel. Uh, we've got a YouTube channel, Pastor Rod Hembry. It's very, very exciting. And that brings me to our question of the day. That's right. What an introduction. Wow. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I do have a few people that follow along and really enjoy the Friday questions. And today I can ask anywhere from Ecclesiastes chapter 10 all the way through to Isaiah chapter 11. Here is the question. So... The daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in a garden of what? A garden of what? Cucumbers, garlic, or leeks? What right, would so it be? What think well, you? Corey, Corey's an avid gardener, and so <laughs> she knew it right away. So Did. why don't you uh, go ahead? <laughs> the answer is, <laughs> drum roll. I can't do a drum roll. No, I'm, I'm not a drummer. Either. I'm sorry. I could try. My brother yeah. got that. Skill. Yes, he did. <laughs> Uncle Darren, you got that. We need you here, man. Um, cucumbers. Cucumbers. All right, is and my you, you, I concur Samantha, with that. Do you agree yes. with that, Absolute, Absolutely. All right, and absolutely. I'm I'm wondering about, you know, all the people that play along. Have you guessed that? Did you guess cucumbers? Because the daughter of Zion is left as a vineyard, a booth. Sorry, in a vineyard as a hut in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. And you can find that. Check me out always. Make sure. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 8. So very, very good. By and, the way, mm -hmm. I love cucumbers. I, I really do. do. They're awesome. Yes. I've got some growing. I'll, I'll bring some over to your place. You know, I really enjoy the English cucumbers oh, because nice. the seeds oh, yeah. are tiny. Yeah. You're making there. me I mean, hungry. I do like all cucumbers. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. all right. I don't discriminate against cucumbers. <laughs> no. I'll eat them all. the end of the program, we're going to pray. And I want to tell you, I want to encourage you to come to us on at 3.30, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, where we have a prayer meeting for you. We're live at Bible Discovery TV, Facebook, and YouTube, and we will pray for you. It is really good. Today, we need to pray on the television program. Lord, I want to live my life well as a testimony of how you changed me and how you continue to change my life. Help me to do that today. 